Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Pragmatic Investor. My guest today is Mike Fay. He's a fellow essay contributor and the author behind The Heretic Speculator on Substack. Now, I decided to bring Mike on today because there's been a lot of interesting stuff going on in the market. Of course, we had the issues with Nvidia and Corweave a few weeks ago. We had that big spike in the two-year treasury just a few days ago. So I wanted to bring Mike on the show to give us his perspective on what's happening and give us his kind of alternative view on some of the events. So, you know, today we pretty much discussed some of the investment conspiracy theories that have been arising in the last few weeks. We had a great conversation about Nvidia and Coreweave, about whether the markets are being propped up ahead of the election. We also talked about the BRICS and the gold-backed currency, how much gold China has, how much Bitcoin China has, and talked a lot about the dollar and its outlook in the world as a reserve currency. And as always, we ended with some actionable advice. If the economy is nearing collapse, how do we prepare for that? What kind of assets can we invest in today to protect our wealth tomorrow? I really enjoyed this conversation with Mike. It's the third time he's been on the show, and I just really enjoy getting his take on everything. And if you haven't already, I highly recommend you check out his Substack, The Heretic Speculator. And if you haven't already, please go ahead and like and subscribe to the channel. As always, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. All right, Mike, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, James, pleasure. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, you know, I don't know if this would be a fair assessment, but, you know, I was looking at everything that was happening with NVIDIA and uh, putting my tinfoil hat on, and I kind of thought, who who knows a little bit about conspiracies and kind of alternative <laughs> thinking? And, and you came to mind, Mike. I don't know if you'd feel that's a fair characterization. Listen, you can't have a Substack publication called Heretic Speculator and not expect to uh, be looked at as maybe the guy who's a little offbeat. That's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want to start today by talking a little bit about what happened with NVIDIA because, you know, it's certainly very interesting. And I actually had the uh, pleasure of interviewing Kashyap Shuram, who was one of the first people who posted uh, that Twitter thread talking about all the kind of uh, problems that he saw with the balance sheet. So a very controversial topic and you know we have had a lot of the uh, wall street insiders came out to kind of defend nvidia now i will say since the time this came out nvidia has you know performed pretty badly i would say even underperformed the broader market but it hasn't collapsed in the way that you would expect if you know this was a full-blown scandal so so what, what do you make of this right now where do you stand well, first off, uh, I listened to that episode. It was very good. So kudos to you and, and to him. That was a, a really great listen. So anyone who's listening to this who hasn't listened to that episode should go listen to it. Um, I have traded NVIDIA. I've never really considered myself like an investor in NVIDIA, uh, but mm -hmm. I have bought it and held it from the long side in the past. Uh, the company has obviously had... Um, you know, it's benefited from a few different narratives. Um, you know, one was it was a huge uh, beneficiary of Ethereum mining uh, when all of the people who wanted to get into Ethereum mining, when it was at like four, almost 5,000 per coin, you need these GPUs. Mm -hmm. uh, it's different than Bitcoin mining because, you know, it's a different kind of, uh, you need an ASIC versus a NVIDIA chip. And it's just, you can't just switch from one to the other. So you need a very specific kind of chip. So NVIDIA was a huge beneficiary of uh, the boom in ETH mining. Uh, then 
struggled for a while the for the stock did after you know really about a year before uh the merge nvidia had kind of peaked and then it started going mm-hmm. back down sort of had a pop as like a metaverse play like you know if you're gonna have like vr and metaverse stuff be you know the the next thing that everyone chases then you still need these gpus uh and now here we are in 2023 and you need the gpus for ai and ai is the thing that's pushing everything higher now and that's wonderful and great um look nvidia had an amazing quarter in the last quarter and you know I have not been short NVIDIA directly and have really just stayed on the sidelines after making mm-hmm. a little bit of money. My, my pittance as a heretic uh, while actually riding something to the upside, um, you know, I kind of got out of NVIDIA a little too early, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the way and just watched it and thought this is getting kind of crazy. And then they had that blowout quarter and you'll see kind of in this, tale of core weave that there is definitely some undertones to the people who are behind that company or who are funding that company uh, are the guys and i'm not going to name specific names because i don't want to you know get blasted or anything uh but there was a very good deep dive done on youtube by a a publisher called nobody special and he did a lot of research he did a Mm three-part series where he basically went into the history of CoreWeave and there's financial backing from Magnetar Capital, which are the same guys who are kind of involved in the CDOs during the big short. And there's actually a great scene. One of the, one of the, one of the, the top scenes in that movie is with Steve Carell's character is talking to the guy at the dinner table. And he's basically kind of got this cavalier attitude of, Hey man, I'm just making money. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's terrible. And I'm betting the other side as well, but yeah you know, you, 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 your life just isn't as good as mine. Sorry. Like that was kind of the, so you, you know, as a viewer of the big short, you watch that and you're like, I hate that guy. Like, and that's kind of the intention is you want to hate that guy. Uh, But, you know, in that same vein is you have these Magnetar Capital guys who were involved in the CDOs back in that era. Well, a lot of these guys are now funding core weave and core weave is taking that money that is coming in from the magnetar capital people and even some of the other larger institutions as well and they're mm-hmm. basically just buying gpus from nvidia with this money mm-hmm. um and the the way that they're getting the money is that the collateral for the loans is the gpus that they're mining so it's a very very suspect mm-hmm. way of doing it a lot of these guys are linked to Cayman Islands shell companies that are, you know, called like, you know, investment corp number 50 and stuff like that. Like it, it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot to it. I'm not probably doing the story justice, but when you look at how CoreWeave, the company changed from an Ethereum mining company during the last crypto bull wave and has then pivoted to, you know, mm-hmm. an AI type of company buying GPUs from, NVIDIA for high performance computing power, you know, you just have this very interesting connection of, you know, people who are, you can make the argument that the guys behind CoreWeave are kind of fueling this NVIDIA rise, Mm -hmm. what positions they have on, on the other side, who knows, but it makes for a very compelling short, in my opinion. And to completely disclose that I do now have exposure to 
NVIDIA going down through the AXS 1.25 inverse NVIDIA ETF. Mm -hmm. Very simple trade, not a big position, but I do think that NVIDIA is going to go down in part because of this core wave situation, but also you've got a lot of insiders selling. They've been selling the whole time. There's just a lot of red flags. And at the same time, you know, we could be in or entering a recession and I just don't know that NVIDIA can keep up mm -hmm. all these GPU sales uh, for the foreseeable future. So stock's way ahead of itself. It's trading at like 40 times sales or something absurd. So I put on the, the short through that ETF by going mm -hmm. along the ETF, the inverse ETF, and we'll see. I could be wrong. Right, absolutely. That's also a trade that obviously I highlighted to my subscribers. And I think also it makes sense, like you say, I also pointed out that, you know, if we are in a situation where we might get a recession or credit avail or something like that, and I think uh, Michael Guy had pointed this out, that uh, winners are the first stocks that people cut out, cut out, right? So if the stock market does begin to tumble, there is, you know, kind of, um, you know, there is a logic to the idea that NVIDIA could even underperform the market. So at the very least, it seems like a reasonable, reasonable hedge against that kind of downfall in the market. Potentially. I think so. Yeah. And, and I actually liked the idea because... I had previously put on a short S&P 500 trade through the SPXS, which is the direction inverse, much more risky <laughs> move. That's a 3x levered one. Um, and, you know, it, it works against you almost on purpose. And so, yeah. you you know, you can get kind of wrecked if you don't do that trade right. But I kind of thought about it and I'm like, you know, if I think the broader market is going to go down and I, I kind of do. Um, maybe just betting against NVIDIA directly is a better way to express that trade. Um, but anyway, like I think to the to the conspiracy theorist point of view, you know, you have then after this core weave story comes out and people are talking about, you know, maybe the situation with NVIDIA isn't as straightforward as meets the mm -hmm. eye. You've got some of the people in the mainstream financial press coming out and really kind of saying, hey, listen, you can't listen to Twitter randos like they don't really know what they're doing. Right. Trust, trust <laughs> us, because trusting the experts has worked out so well <laughs> the last three or four years. Yeah, absolutely. I think whenever the kind of mainstream media comes out with anything, now, it, it almost just has the opposite effect because, you know, people are pre-attuned pre to, to what's been going on lately. Um I will say you pointed out the big short, great movie. I love that scene. I will say my favorite scene of that movie is the one in the strip club <laughs> where, he, where he asks the stripper how many mortgages she has. And she has, I think she has like five mortgages. Five. Yeah. 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 That's another good one. It's a great movie. <laughs> it's a really good movie. Yeah. So it's a real uh, good boots on the ground research there. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I mean, you know, I've, I've been reading a lot into this. There are two sides to the story, of course, you know, there's certain, um, you, know, you can make an argument from the non-conspiracy theory, right? I mean, yeah, they were, you know, Ethereum GPU mining company. Why wouldn't they, you know, then go on to to um to rent out NVIDIA GPUs, right? I mean, also again, that loan against the GPUs, very unprecedented, right? I mean, you'd imagine that traditionally it's been a depreciating asset, but you know, if they are in Correct. such demand, then why? Why not? To me, it kind of fits in a little bit. I mean, do you think there's any involvement here by maybe China at some point? That I've heard the idea that maybe Core Weave is like positioning to get bought out by the Chinese. So this is kind of a way for them to get to the chips. 
I, you know, I don't know. I hadn't really heard that or, or considered that theory, but I, when I look at CoreWave, I don't know. I see a company that doesn't have a huge operational history and I get really mm -hmm. worried about companies that shift from crypto mining to AI, you know, and we have at least five of them in the public markets through various mm -hmm. crypto mining uh, firms, some of which I've liked in the past, some of which I'm a little bit more skeptical about now. Um, you know, as it pertains to, is China going to buy it? I, I really couldn't guess there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's certainly a, a risk there. I mean, everyone's kind of buying from NVIDIA, but no one really wants to. And, you know, we already have some regulations stopping NVIDIA from signing to China. So certainly think there's a, there's a risk there. But the broader picture here is, of course, NVIDIA has pretty much been carrying the market. Well, there's been a, there's been a few other as well, but NVIDIA yeah. especially has been carrying the market. Now, do you think there's any any way that this could be something orchestrated? I mean, obviously we have the elections coming up next year. I mean, how much control could, let's say, the uh, the powers that be have here? Is, could could this be kind of a an orchestrated uh, attempt to to keep the market up? You know, pre-election, is that is that something that you consider? I mean, how much how how much control could could a group of people have on the market? I mean, I think people can if they. If they try to manipulate something, they can manipulate something. I mean, we mm -hmm. know that as guys who have been paying attention to the gold market for a while, like right. or the silver market for a while, um, you know, you're looked at as a conspiracy theorist or a wacko when you say things like, you know, there are banks or uh, institutional investment firms that are, you know, intentionally putting the thumb on the scale of gold and silver. Well, it turns out that you did have some some spoofing and some other things that were not good that were criminal <laughs> uh, that were happening in those markets. So, you know, you can, if you can execute a strategy, there's an incentive to do it. And I feel like I've seen in the past, do you remember back? Uh, and I don't want to make it political, but back when, when Trump was president, mm -hmm. the, the running joke on FinTwit on, on financial Twitter was risk-free Friday, right? Mm -hmm. Risk-free Friday. And it was like, you know, uh, trade optimism, like trade optimism was another thing like trade optimism and risk-free Friday were the running meme. And if you broke out like the returns in the S and P 500 by day of the week, like mm -hmm. three of the days were negative for a year, except Friday, which was like stupid high, like 80% <laughs> up <laughs> on Friday and yes. everything else is down. And it's like, how are they doing this? How are they? And Look, like, look at Archegos Capital, right? Like, look at how you can gamma squeeze a company like uh, Paramount Global several mm -hmm. multiples higher just by putting on a gamma squeeze trade where you force people to buy the underlying asset. Like, there are ways to manipulate things if you want to. Can you do it with $2.3 billion to just, you know, to juice the entire market? I don't know. But if the S&P 500 is re largely reliant on five to seven companies... <laughs> It might not be that difficult. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you think about it, I don't know, because, you know, the, the more the more the time goes by, the more you can see. I mean, it, it is a free market, of course, but especially when, like you say, you get into stuff like options and gamma squeezes. That's just it's just so much you can do with with a certain amount of money. I think now also sort of concerned with, um you know, um, zero DTE options as well, kind of as a as a potential a black swan or something that could really be moving markets uh so so it's tricky i mean i think you know, it, it makes sense to that extent you know did you know did did they crash the market 
ahead of the elections and are they propping it up ahead of the next ones you know <laughs> who who knows i mean um i guess you just have to dig in on who benefits from what happening and and mm-hmm. you know who who do you think is running the show i guess is is the question that you have to ask and i think that you might get a different answer depending on who you talk to because you know mm-hmm. there are some who might think like look at like you know, like the World Economic Forum, which has put all of these people that have come through their their uh, their entity and has they've penetrated the cabinets or whatever Klaus Schwab likes to say, and mm-hmm. now they have these World Economic Forum people who are pushing certain initiatives at you know government bodies and in corporate America especially, and, or, or the other thing is um, you know maybe they're trying to crash everything to do a CBDC like. There are all these different kind of ideas that, you know, it's very easy to go down uh, a rabbit hole. And, you know, part of that is probably because social media is uh, such an important part of people's lives at this point. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the algorithms work in a way where, like, you know, you can say something that's intentionally ridiculous and it'll go viral. And then you, you know, can (laughs) gain a following and you know, it, it's, it's tough to say, like, mm-hmm. I'm trying not to be like wishy-washy here. Uh, and, you know, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know who's running the show. Right. Absolutely. I just, it feels like at some point, you know, maybe we should invest less time in, you know, doing, doing valuations and cash flow analysis and just invest a little bit more time in, all right, what's, what's, what's the next play here? What are yeah. what, you know, <laughs> yeah. going to try and pull next? Right. Uh, I think that's definitely a good argument for what you just mentioned. That I, I did a video a while ago talking a little bit about the uh, yeah the idea that you know the Federal Reserve to an extent is uh, trying to bankrupt the the financial system to you know, obviously promote CBDCs because I mean the CBDC I think is something that you know I, I think it a lot of people would be very against it. You'd need something like a big crisis. You need a, a justification for it, right? So you need people begging for it. Right, exactly. So a situation where you say, well, we need this because otherwise, you know, basically you can have no money. Yeah. Kind of... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, just that kind of makes sense to an extent, I think. You know, and I've heard, I was kind of in that camp a little bit that, you know, you, you, what could possibly be <laughs> the reason that, you know, the central bank, which everyone looks to as the, the you know, Jerome Powell, like the the credit master wizard is coming to the podium to tell us what our, what our capital price is going to be. And, you know, you have this man basically guiding for no increase through like 2024 or at least to through 2023 back uh, when stuff was still at zero back when mm-hmm. they were doing stimulus. And so you have right or wrong, uh, a lot of banks, a lot of them out in California, uh, you know, making portfolio decisions with their bonds based off the guidance that the rates are going to stay down here. And suddenly they don't stay down there. And not only do they not stay down there, but they go up from a pacing perspective very fast and you go from zero to five in what a year, maybe a little more, a little less. And all of a sudden, all of this collateral, you, because of your duration risk mismanagement mm-hmm. is underwater and right. and it it's very odd it's it's you know how, how you have to either believe that it was intentional or these guys are just idiots and right. neither of those are great options <laughs> yeah that's that's true i mean to me a, a good conspiracy theory always 
needs needs to have a good reason behind it. And you know that is that is arguably a very good reason because you know at the end of the day, you control the money supply, uh, you control everything. I think there was a quote by um, I think it was one of the presidents, James Garfield, made a quote kind of like that. Uh, shortly before he was assassinated, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in any case, kind of also uh, all related to some of the developments we've had in BRICS. And, you know, that's another one, another, another group of people that often get labeled kind of a, a bit wacko, uh, what you might call the gold bugs. The wing nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Gold, At the... least I remember that being the case when I was studying economics and having quite fierce arguments with my macroeconomics teachers. And just, why, why are we just using gold? This is ridiculous. And yeah. Uh, well, he failed me for that one, but anyway. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a shame. <laughs> I know, right? But anyway, what's happening there? Because we did have the BRICS come out, and you know, kind of they had that BRICS, um, you know, the BRICS summit. summit yeah, summit, BRICS summit. Then, yeah, yeah. They announced the uh, they announced the gold back currency. I mean, it's kind of been in the works for a while. I don't know. It's hard for me to get a grasp. Maybe it's because I'm searching on Google and I should be on DuckDuckGo. I I didn't see a lot of coverage of the of the actual event what do you think of all this that's going on there well i don't think anything too shocking happened um mm -hmm. look I, they're telegraphing what they're doing you know whether or not they say it outright or not i mean you have you have a, an, an alliance of BRICS nations and other nations that are sympathetic to the BRICS nations who i believe are very clearly um tired of the dollar hedge money and you have comp uh, uh, entities like China and Russia who have either been slowing their purchase of treasuries or U.S. treasuries or not purchasing them at all in the case of Russia and the, the few that they did have are mm -hmm. gone. Um, but now you also, on top of that, have production cuts from Russia and oil. You have production cuts from the Saudis and oil at the same time that the U S is supposed to be replenishing the SBR that it sold down mm -hmm. uh, to fight the price at the pump. Um, I don't think these things are a coincidence. I think that, you know, right. especially when you look at China uh, look, you can say a lot of things about China, but there is a strategy, a strategic uh, patience I think culturally mm -hmm. in China more so than in the Western world where they, I think have a handle on when they have an advantage and when they don't have an advantage. And I think you could argue that you have all the, you have a lot of manufacturing out there. Look, the economy out there may be slowing, may be in trouble. Who knows? Uh, it's difficult to tell with, you know, <laughs> data coming from there, but the old adage is he who holds the gold makes the rules. And we know that China probably has more gold than they've been telling the world that they have. There's a lot of research that's very good that details mm -hmm. that their actual gold holdings is probably several multiples above where it actually is. So take all these things, put them together. You have an, an, an alliance of countries outside of the Western uh, G7 who appear to have mutually beneficial uh, interests that are aligning at the right time. Does that mean that we have a gold backed uh, global reserve currency tomorrow? No. Does it mean that mm -hmm. we have one in 10 years? Maybe not. Does it mean we have one in 50 years? I think that's probably a pretty good bet. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I mean, like you say, at the end of the day, these countries are all coming together. <clears throat> but the only way they can really do that is is by issuing a gold backed currency, because there's not there's obviously not going to be like a, they're not all going to start using the yuan, are they? I mean, that would be that would be pretty crazy. I don't right. know if this is, like, this is kind of anecdotal, but I'm I'm here in Mexico and I don't know if this is true, but my girlfriend told me that apparently <clears throat> if you have dollars here and you go to the airport, they'll actually like, <clears throat> sorry, if you have pesos and you go to the airport and you want some dollars, they'll actually give you dollars at a very favorable rate. Hmm. Like they're trying to get rid of their dollars, which is kind of interesting. Also, the Mexican peso, unfortunately, has been uh, doing very well over the last couple of years for some reason. So they're doing quite well. I hadn't heard that, but, you know, I think where, if you're, uh, you know, a sovereign nation and you don't have a lot of, I don't know about Mexico's position to be perfectly mm -hmm. honest. Um, but if you don't have a large exposure to, uh, dollar denominated debt obligations and you have mm -hmm. excess dollars and reserves, then, and you want to offload them, then yeah, I mean, <laughs> that'd be one way that you could do it. Right. But actually, you know, the dollar in general has been doing pretty well. I mean, I don't know how much you subscribe to. I guess you've heard maybe of like the, the dollar milkshake theory. Oh, yes. Brent Johnson's dollar milkshake. I know it very so is, well. Is that is that something you'd uh, you'd subscribe to then? I think that what he is arguing makes a lot of sense. Um, mm -hmm. But it also is difficult to assess which inning of that are we in like right. are we in the second inning of that or are we in the eighth inning of that mm -hmm. um because i think a lot of people expect some sort of default from the u.s because math is undefeated you can't keep borrowing to pay a previous borrower forever like <laughs> you eventually run out of greater fools and so mm -hmm. you know if whether that default comes overtly through sorry we're done can't pay you or through just light the printing press up we're just going for it you know mm -hmm. whichever you pick i mean it doesn't end well for u.s dollar holders and mm -hmm. you know if you are if you have a u.s dollar debt uh outstanding like i do for my mortgage and you expect that the dollar is going to decline in purchasing power then that works out for you, I guess, right? <laughs> right. So that's that, that's the trade, isn't it? So you want to kind of lever up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, here's another question, though. So you talk about China storing a lot of gold. How much Bitcoin is China storing? Any at all? I think they probably have some. <laughs> I think they probably have some because look at what China did with gold right? Because China initially banned gold. They told their, many years ago, they told their citizens not to buy gold. Right. Why would they do that? And if we actually believe that they have more gold than they say they do, mm -hmm. then they're telling their citizens not to buy gold because they don't want them bidding against them. And mm -hmm. so he, again, conspiracy theories are on for this episode. Uh, tinfoil hat. That was my for people who aren't listening, I just put my tinfoil <laughs> hat on. Um, or people who are not watching, excuse me. Um, but no, like, if you watch what China just did with gold, and you believe that they have more than they say they do, they mm -hmm. might be doing the exact same thing with Bitcoin. 
right? Like, mm -hmm. don't buy it, get it out of here. We don't want it. Oh, by the way, we have a ton of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Here's my question, though, because if the idea, because China has also been pushing the CBDC, right? I mean, and the idea, obviously, a lot of people have is, you know, China, you know, let's say, um, pretty centralized government, obviously mm -hmm. likes having control over its people. Yeah. But a gold like currency kind of takes that away. How, how, how do those add so up? Is there a possibility that you could have like the gold backed currency and, and a different currency? I think you can, currency? because if, you, if you're keeping, so for China, for, from mm -hmm. their vantage, you would keep the CBDC for control mm -hmm. over the populace. You want something with gold for a seat at the global table right? Mm -hmm. Like if you are just printing money the way the US is doing, and you don't really have any backing, your seat at the table might not look that great. Your hand might not mm -hmm. look that good at the poker table. But if you, if you have control over your populace with your, with your native currency, even if it's only used in your country, as long as you have gold and a, another currency that is backed by gold, you have the ability to have a seat at the table when it comes to trade and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but the question is, I mean, obviously, you know, the US isn't just going to take this lying down. And a lot of people often do say, well, what's the dollar backed by? And they say, well, it's backed by the US military. So, I mean, <laughs> how does this end? That, that's, point... a, that's a popular answer, but that's actually not true. It's backed by faith. Right. It's backed well, by faith and the, nothing also more. So the US military a little bit and at least their control over the Middle East. and That was true up until more recently, I think. Right, of course. Up until right. more recently. Because now you, you you have now, we've gone over the last 24 months, we've gone from former Fed chair and current U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying the dollar will be the global reserve currency for the rest of our lifetimes to the dollar will lose global reserve currency status, but it's going to be slow. So mm -hmm. if they're actually saying that now, the, the dollar will lose global reserve status. I think we all agree on that. And if mm -hmm. they're saying, yeah, it's going to happen, but it's going to be slow, it's probably not going to be that slow. It <laughs> might be slow, but not that slow. Right. So I think that might answer your question, but maybe, maybe to elaborate on it a little bit, you know, you have instances in the past, and I'm not going to say them specifically, but you have instances of the past where other countries that have challenged the, the dollar as a, as a global payment mechanism and wanted to do something else, something with gold specifically, sometimes those leaders end up dead. And now we have what's very obvious with the BRICS, the possibility Ooh. that this global gold thing might be a little bit closer, but you know, China, we're not going into China. We're not going into, well, we're, we have a proxy war with Russia, mm -hmm. um, but you know, the, 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 uh, the U S can't fight everybody, <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? And so, especially mm -hmm. when there's no SPR, <laughs> when there's no SPR, you can't fight everybody. So mm -hmm. it's backed by faith. It has been backed by faith in the military in the past, but clock's ticking. Right. Like you say, exactly. Clock's ticking. It's like you say, we don't know what inning we're, we're in there, but I did hear an interesting analogy once someone talking about this. They said, well, you know, it's a little bit like being in a car and you say, well, you know, I'm probably not going to have a car accident, but that doesn't mean you don't put a seatbelt on, right? So, I mean... It's obviously something happening. And it's definitely important to investors to, to perceive I mean, whether, like you say, 
it's it's in our lifetime probably whether it's in the next 10 years like yeah the, the timeline probabilities of a shorter timeline are at least uh increasing and we're seeing some weird stuff um we saw that weird spike in the two-year treasury uh bills the other day or notes rather uh what happened there what do you make of that <laughs> uh your guess is as good as mine i mean I woke up, I looked at it and saw this massive, absolutely ridiculous, you know, wick in mm -hmm. the two year note. Cause I pay attention to the two year and I'm just like, what the hell was that? Uh, other people raised concerns. Cause the first thing I did when I saw that was immediately go to Twitter. Cause I'm right. a Twitter rando and I like other Twitter randos. So I'm like, how do I get my news Twitter? Um, <laughs> So I go to Twitter and I I just type in two year note, and uh, then I see all these other people talking about it as well. And turns out we're told it's a glitch. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe <laughs> I don't know. Um, it all feels very September twenty nineteen to me, though. You know, like with the. Uh, um, do you remember what what happened back then with the? Um, uh, the yields from the uh, I can't remember the uh, what was it the reverse repo? Yes, thank you. The reverse repo. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It seems yeah. it, it just kind of feels like that. Like there's this like this weird thing that happens, and people are like, "What the hell is that?" And nothing to see here, though. Right. So the the only difference is that now now the Democrats are in power. So you know, there's maybe they're gonna sweep it under the rug a few more months at least. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> it, yeah, and that that's the thing. It's like, you know. I've kind of had the view that it's just really a duopoly like system that mm -hmm. is, you know, when you may get the occasional outlier with someone like Trump, but like candidate Trump was very different from president Trump. So, you know, he, you know, candidate Trump in one of the debates was talking about the federal reserve and how they were, you know, manipulating markets and things like that. And I'm watching this and I'm like, Holy moly, I can't believe he's saying this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he wins and then he's trying to get Jerome Powell to cut rates. So it's mm -hmm. like, okay, he got, got to, or right. it was just BS, you know, the whole time, who knows. But, um, you know, I look at it like, unless you have like a real outsider, um, you know, all the, all, I think just, it's, it's kind of all the same. Like these guys are going to dinner together. You know what I mean? It's right. like mm -hmm. the thing in Washington is they show up they stay there as long as they possibly can. They all come out millionaires. They solve no actual problems. And they're hanging out together in the Hamptons or whatever. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. It's, it's all a group of insiders. And you have to wonder, I mean, yeah, just, I mean, even if Trump had good intentions, how much how much could he have done? And But also, you know, did he, did he even have good intentions? Like, We'll never know. Way, yeah. It's like it's like you said before, you know, they're either stupid or they don't want to help. Either way, the the outcome isn't great. Right. Well, I mean, like, and, and not to just you know pick on Trump because I like I really I totally empathize with why he won. Um, but then, like, you go on the right or the left, excuse me, and you have like, you know, someone like Elizabeth Warren who has made a, a you know her notoriety by being like the anti-bank. Uh, <laughs> the anti-bank congressperson and, or whatever she is, senator. Uh, I'm very, very uh, knowledgeable about all this stuff, you can tell. Um, but she makes her, her you know, base by feeding them this anti-bank Ritalin and then 
the first thing, the first opportunity there is for real innovation of the banks that's organic and outside of their control. And she's putting together an anti-crypto army. Like, mm-hmm. tell me you're full of shit without telling me you're full of shit. Right. You know I'm saying, yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And just, just just to be clear, if you did know a lot about politics, I think to me that's some. To me, that also makes makes me lose, lose respect for someone. You know, the the more you know about these things, I think at this point it's it's almost a waste of time. I think because like it's like well, say, what's, what's the yeah. point about no, of knowing you know what a what a candidate stands for when you know they don't really stand for that, right? it's one of the things that's been so frustrating, Um, you know, late twenties and early thirties, I'm in my mid thirties now, but just really seeing Mm -hmm. from my perspective, how neither side really has any motivation to actually do anything. And the reason is because the re-election percentage for Congress is like 90%. (laughs) Like like there's no incentive whatsoever to actually do anything because everyone keeps voting for them. Like all the same people. How, how is Maxine Waters at 85 or Nancy Pelosi at 85 or 86 or Mitch McConnell at the same age? How are these people still in office? (laughs) Like, it's it's mind boggling. And so when you see when you see that, you just kind of lose really faith in the whole system. And it's it can be a dark place if you don't find joy in your life. Absolutely. I think a lot of these politicians should certainly retire and maybe pursue trading and investing full time because you know they're, they're, they are they're they're very good at that. Yeah. I mean, and that goes even that goes far back to like Hillary Clinton, like one of the greatest cattle future traders of all time. <laughs> Out of future trading. Oh I yeah, think. look it up. Look it I up. Did, I didn't know that one. Oh, you'll love it. Check it out. Hillary oh. Clinton's cattle future trading. I look it up. Anyway, since we're talking about politics, this is an interesting one, and I haven't. Um, <clears throat> I don't know too much about this. Uh, this person, but I've I've been reading a few things. I I have here a, a headline. It's from the New York Times. Far right libertarian wins Argentina's presidential primary. This is, of course, Javier Millet, who has been on the record saying, you know, he wants to abolish the central bank. Apparently, he, which, you know, you might say is good. Apparently, he also wants to use the U.S. dollar in Argentina, maybe not so good. But I don't know if you've heard anything about this guy, because he's uh, had some interesting interviews. He's the guy with, like, the mutton chops, right? Like the... like Right, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, he... I, from what I understand, he's a Bitcoin guy, too. So I'm surprised mm-hmm. that he wants to use the dollar. If you understand Bitcoin... Um, you know, it's odd picking the dollar then for your currency. Right, I, I'm not sure. I'm just reading the headline. I mean, I've, I've, what I remember him most from is, yeah, there was a clip where he was basically talking kind of about Bitcoin and, yeah, basically just expanding central banking and how it's all a scam. Yeah, well, I mean, look, like, <laughs> you know, all we know in our in our life, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. in our brief time on this rock, is that. The purchasing power of the currency that we're told we have to use always goes down. And mm-hmm. why is that? You know, it's because the you could make a lot of arguments that it's Congress's fault because they have allowed a central bank to always monetize the budget deficit. Um, or you could argue that it's by design and that this has all been, <laughs> you know, a scam from the jump. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like neither are good so are good scenarios like you know 
which is it? Are they doing it on purpose or are they just dumb? Like, yeah, I, I tend to think the more the more nefarious. I mean, there's obviously a lot of a lot of reasons why you know a government would uh yeah just want to monetize the deficit and obviously it's 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 a hidden tax on on everyone, right? And it's it's a lot easier to to do that than to actually raise taxes. And but, I think that we see this historically with global reserve currencies. It's like the Triffin's dilemma. You know, it's always kind of doomed to fail because if you're gonna be kind of like the settlement layer, you've got to kind of always be putting currency out. And, you know, that just doesn't have a sustainable outcome. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Makes me think though. So for example, now you have this uh, Malay guy coming into Argentina, trying to fix things. Can can things be fixed in the US? I mean, is there a a combination of people and policies and ideas that, that, that could change the, the, the course here is the is there a way out it's a tough one because you know i think that the optimist would say look if we stop doing the things that are obviously really bad and we just cut that out right now like have not you know borrowing to pay past debts uh bad if we stop doing all that and we cut a lot of spending and we get to a point where we can try to grow ourselves out of this then the question is, do we have the demographics that allow us to do that? And I'm not mm-hmm. sure that we do because you've got birth rates that have been declining for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look at like when you look at metrics like housing affordability, um, you know, it's very difficult, even though the actual rate to borrow isn't, you know, it's not higher than it was Um when the boomers started getting into home buying, it was much higher then because, you know, the fed mm-hmm. was still trying to fight inflation at that point. Um, even though the rate is lower, the home price is so much higher that the aggregate cost is much, much higher. And then when you put that against what people actually are earning, you know, in mm-hmm. real terms, right. it's just, it's not even, con- it's not even, uh, it's not fun. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm watching my sister who's in her mid thirties, like I am, you know, buying a house that is the most expensive, this specific, it's a, you know, very old house, but it's the most expensive it's ever been, even though it needs tons of updates and she can't get this thing unless she goes above list because that's what the market is dictating at this point. And then on top of that, the borrow rate is stupid high compared to the last 15 years it's, it's a trick. It's, it's, it's really tough. So, you know, she gets into that, that house, you know, now that spending has to come from somewhere, doesn't it? And so if you have millennials who are struggling to get into homes and if they are fortunate enough to be able to get into homes, but that is coming, that money that is servicing the debt is coming from, you know, going out Mm -hmm. to eat or going out to movies or restaurants or fun things. That's not good for the economy. It's not good for tax receipts. You know, there's just, it's difficult for me to see this ending well um, without some sort of Jubilee where it starts over. And this is not an idea that I think is great. It's probably the least bad option. Um, someone like Roy Sabag, who's the CEO of Gold Money, has thrown this idea out there um, and shown that in the past, you know, people end up starting over. And for the most part, 
they're kind of happy like you know because this this overhang is gone um mm -hmm. look a lot of people get wiped out in that situation and that's the negative part mm -hmm. um it's like a, it's a long-winded way of saying i don't know that we can really get out of this i think it may be beyond saving i think that i think the time to fix this was probably 20 years ago right yeah that, that, that makes a lot of sense it's interesting since you brought up the demographics because kind of another conspiracy theory there which is of course that you know the u.s they can rely if they relied on immigration you know hypothetically you can keep the uh the demographics up so one of the you know theories i've heard is that that is of course why you know we we have a big incentive to keep other countries like africa impoverished you know because kind of relying on that uh, immigration from all those poorer countries to kind of sustain that demographic, uh, what, what would otherwise be a demographic collapse. I it's, guess. A, it's an interesting theory, you know, um, mm -hmm. and it, it is interesting seeing what has happened between like Texas and New York, where they're kind of busing people up and because New York is a sanctuary city. And so Texas is saying, hey, like they're all coming over the border. We can't do this. You're up saying well, we should take them <laughs> you can take some of these people and help them out and then you got eric adams the mayor of new york who's like whoa uh, this is a problem doesn't really work out um but because that's the other thing like you know u.s infrastructure isn't that great and you know i live in the rust belt which is i'm in ohio specifically but you know when i go over the border to michigan i mean like the roads are bad they're real bad and You've got bridges that need a lot of work everywhere. I mean, there's a lot of problems. And so whether they're trying to, you know, bring people from other countries uh, on purpose or whatever, I mean, there are just so many problems. That's, that's all I can say, you know? Yeah. But like you said, it's, it's hard to see a way out. I was, I've, I was reading a rereading a Ray Dalio's book the other day, the changing world order. And yeah, he has that list of, he has like a table where he explains within the last 100, 150 years, like at least 20 different events in different countries where, you know, you know, equity values have been completely wiped out or just like people have lost almost 90% of, you know, of what they had. And, you know, I mean, we've had a pretty good period of unprecedented period of peace really and kind of stability, but historically that's, you know, that's kind of not really, not really normal, right? It's, it's rare. So. Yeah, it's interesting. And it, it seems similar almost to, uh what like neil howe has said with like the fourth turning uh mm -hmm. you know his theory of there's kind of like four 20 to 25 year phases and the fourth phase is the fourth turning and and it usually ends with like calamity like there's some sort of big problem that mm -hmm. turns you know <laughs> uh violent um and, and we haven't had that in a while and you know uh could be due so I, I don't know so it's all about timing though isn't it and that's that, that's kind of a little why i like to call myself a bit of a pragmatic investor because i try and split the difference because you know at the end of the day you, you can't just be peter schiff and you know say that the world's gonna end for the next for the last 20 years i mean that <laughs> that hasn't worked out too well so you know that's the thing yeah i mean timing is everything Eventually, exactly. Peter will be right. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Maybe, maybe in our lifetime, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, the sun's gonna explode at some point, right? Like, not for a long time, though. 
Yes, and, and gold will be very valuable then, won't it? <laughs> Maybe not, though, because I, from what I understand, we're going to be getting on rocket ships and flying up to asteroids and mining gold on asteroids. And this is the reason why gold isn't going to go up in value, because we're just going to go to outer space and mine it from asteroids. I don't know what the you know break-even price would have to be to <laughs> make that viable, but uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm skeptical. I mean, I'm already skeptical about the moon landings as well. Conspiracy theories. <laughs> I've got to be kind of skeptical on this whole asteroid business. I'm not, I'm not even sure they can get it up there. Uh, yeah. I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I'm, I know we've probably covered this, you know, this is our, I think third, fourth time mm -hmm. doing this and we've, we've talked a lot about this, but you know, it bears repeating. So let's kind of put this into actionable investment advice. Let's say, I mean, you have, kind of the demise of the US to an extent happening at some point, you know, timeline kind <laughs> of you know, getting getting closer and closer, but at the same time, you don't want to be Peter Schiff. Uh so yeah. how do you play this then? Uh what 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 what's in your view the good way to maybe maybe hedge against these things or at the same time maybe just keep a keep a balanced portfolio, just not even make money, right? I think the the challenge seems to be here, how do you just preserve your wealth, right? Totally. Um I think that and it really depends on what age you are uh where mm -hmm. you are in 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 life um you know i ha i believe that 60 40 is probably the, the wrong approach at this point um i think if you're young uh and you're trying to really build wealth then unfortunately what the scenario is you're probably pretty far out on the risk curve, which means you're looking at things like crypto and altcoins and things like that. Um, but even when, even in that regard, I, I would never advocate for putting a significant percentage of any portfolio into high risk stuff. Um, for example, I think the dollar has problems. Uh, I think bonds are problematic. Uh, I still have bonds, right? Like, you know, I'm still in money markets in some of my accounts. Um, I think that if you're going to be in equities, you want to be in equities that are paying a dividend and that have some degree of safety from a standpoint of, can we keep selling products if the world is in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's probably a, a terrible sector to be in, but even something like consumer discretionary, you're going to be able to find some companies that are trading at decent multiples um, and that may actually benefit from a slowdown. For example, I like certain names that are in the aftermarket car parts uh, space and not even not even like the auto zones or the O'Reillys of the world. Uh, I think that there are other options that have pretty low multiples. Um, I like that. I like you know some sin stocks. Unfortunately, do usually do okay um, because the underlying product that they're selling does pretty good too. So, sorry, what did you say? What stocks? Sin stocks, like you know, exposure to gambling, exposure to tobacco, okay. uh, alcohol. Uh, you know, people that are down on their luck are buying scratch offs and drinking beer, cheap beer. You know what I mean? Nice. Um, so if you believe that we're headed in a direction where, um, you know, things aren't that great for a lot of people and people are borrowing to spend, 
-hmm. trading down. I think trading down is something to keep an eye on. Uh, I think people are going to be looking at cost cutting in their household budgets. And so you, you want to look at, but at the same time, they still have to live, you know, they still have to be able to do stuff or they're going to lose their mind. So, you know, cost cutting, trading down, uh, areas where people are going to be trying to fix an old car instead of buy a new one. Um, other areas, obviously I like the, the metals, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, if you're young, but you're still not, if you're like not into the crypto thing and you think it's all kind of a scam, I understand. Um, then look at gold miners because there you get uh, a sort of similar uh, thesis, you know, anti-dollar type thing, but you have the leverage of the Bitcoin miner or the, the altcoins through gold miners or silver miners instead. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are some names in that space that I like. Um, but if you, you know, want to look at, you know, again, like you want to look at those names that have low multiples that mm -hmm. pay a dividend nice. that aren't overvalued. Um, and then uh, obviously like you want to have real physical metal, mm -hmm. you want to have, you know, self-storage, you want to have crypto off of an exchange, um, Bitcoin, even things like Litecoin. I, I know that Litecoin, people hate Litecoin. I don't, I think Litecoin's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually recently started, uh, buying Solana again. Um, <laughs> same, same here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's an interesting setup there. Um, and so stuff like that, stuff that's just beaten down people hate mm -hmm. it beaten down right. and people hate it um mm -hmm. what what else uh and then like look also you should always have cash for an emergency you should always have uh some element of food storage uh mm -hmm. shelf stable um you know invest in your education but not i don't mean like go to a university i mean like watch people teach you how to do things on YouTube, whether it's a podcast. Yeah. Like, and like, you know, try to grow food. Like <laughs> it's, yeah. it sounds so simple, but you know, they, even if you're in an urban area, like you have the ability to put something in front of a window and have vertical growth, like mm -hmm. do it, grow something, start small, learn it and invest in your, in your ability and in your resiliency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe maybe buy some beans and bullets too, I guess. <laughs> Gold guns and and uh garden seeds, yep. <laughs> it's interesting. There's a there's definitely a lot of um big movement now. I think they call it what is it homesteading or that kind of a idea of uh being self-sufficient and hey, oh yeah. If that, you also like, get to avoid all the GMOs and all that all that good stuff, then I ha I have a friend who just told me within the last couple of weeks that he's trying to buy mm -hmm. a, a bigger property, a few acres, and he's gonna start doing some growing out there. And I'm like, wow, all right. Okay. It's good to have friends like that. <laughs> and you know, now now you've got those little tiny nuclear reactors that you know you can just put in your backyard and you're set for life for <laughs> at least at least a couple hundred years, I think. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah it's very interesting it's definitely a, a challenging environment i've i've recently kind of uh, launched what i i like to call the end of the world portfolio love it yeah i'm basically kind of trying to focus on on the, this idea of you know what's what 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 is left you know when when the world is ended what what can be a what can be a decent allocation you know without, without just being the guy who says okay just buy gold or 
or whatever, you know, at least try and look for something. I've been looking at other kind of alternative assets. So, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like whiskey, wine. Sure. I saw you did an article recently about um was it? it was something with, with crypto where you get to buy uh the it's like buying royalties of someone's social media stuff like that yeah yeah so that's one of the interesting things too about the crypto area you know you have some nfts that uh you could buy like cash flow in mm -hmm. an artist or in you know a business are those unregistered securities probably yeah probably mm -hmm. um but like Royal.io um, is a music artist led mm -hmm. uh, NFT project mm -hmm. where they were basically selling um, they were they were selling NFT versions of their songs and mm -hmm. holders of those NFTs were entitled to royalties from streaming rights. Um, you know, very cool idea. It's innovative. It solves a problem in the music space where, you know, a lot of independent creators can't make a living doing music because of the way that that system is set up. Um, things like that are very interesting about uh, really public blockchain specifically, not so much crypto. Um, but one of them specifically was stoner cats and stoner cats. I wrote a little bit about it. Stoner cats essentially did a fundraise um, through NFTs and token gated the product you know they basically raised a bunch of eight million i think they raised through selling nfts and then because the nfts are on chain they were able to token gate the viewing of the videos that they made through that funding so it's a very interesting idea and i've actually seen other projects like this in the past one of which was built on solana um but you have the powers that be kind of fighting this and there's a lot of reasons for that, um, you know, where you could say that Stoner Cats is an unregistered security because it was a crowdfunded product. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could also arguably say the same thing about like baseball cards or uh, other, you know, collectibles that have a secondary market where people can sell them and make money off of something that's not really designed to be something that appreciates from a capital standpoint, right? Um, so look, there are certainly opportunities in the alternative space. Um, mm. Like you, I like uh, rare wine. Uh, whiskey, I think is fine. Um, I have like a Vino uh, Vest account, which is- Yeah, uh, in the process of that is, actually. Yeah, which is wine. So I have some wine mm. exposure and I could actually take delivery of that wine and drink it if I wanted to. Mm. Um, which I'm thinking about. No, oh, but, uh, nice. when, you're, when you're down on your luck and <laughs> you're right. going to the casino too yeah. much. Yeah, I don't have any money. Where, give me the wine that I have. Um, <laughs> yeah. no, but like wine, you know, people mm -hmm. have invested in things like sneakers. Um, mm -hmm. It's kind of like the, the, the tokenization, so to speak, of everything. Yes. Everything kind of is becoming a... Mm -hmm. This is the st type of stuff that you see when your currency is collapsing. A pair of sneakers Absolutely. that you bought 10 years right. ago suddenly worth twice that. Absolutely. And to me, I think that it's also something that you know, they're fighting so hard against. And if you think about it, it's kind of um, almost an area of investment that has been very uh, warded off from retail, kind of a, a Wall Street secret, right? I mean, they they get into like all these, yeah, they, they can buy wine and fine art. I mean, obviously with the art, there's an element of a money laundering, perhaps. I know that, um, you know, Hunter Biden, for example, has sold a couple of pieces in the, 
in the past. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, also even other forms of maybe alternative investments like private equity or, you know, certain certain things that I think definitely thanks to a, like say blockchain and tokenization, it's something that, you know, can really kind of, um, you know, hopefully uh, get into the hands of retail, I hope. The blockchain really disrupts the accredited investor system, Mm -hmm. right? Like when you only allow for certain people of a certain wealth or a certain income level to speculate in a certain market, you're really doing a disservice to the actual market mechanism. And an example that I can give is... um, I wanted to many years ago do an investment in something that I couldn't because I wasn't an accredited investor, but a doctor who lived down the street from me who may not know nearly as much about this actual underlying business Mm -hmm. could invest in it because he or she makes more money. There's a problem with that in that you're, under the guise of protecting the retail investor who may actually be able to put together a thoughtful thesis on why something is a good idea, but you're not letting them do it because of some arbitrary wealth figure that they haven't yet attained. You're limiting their ability to actually get to that point. Um, And this is partially why I think we've seen the wealth disparity continue. Mm -hmm. You know, you have, uh, I think it was like the, the 1% owns like, 30 to 40 per 25 to 30% of all the equity. And it used to be like half that, like 20 years ago. Like, I mean, that says it all. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's written in the Bible. I think so there's a quote there that says to those that have more will be given. And certainly it seems to be that way. Yeah. I mean, it, there are a lot of things that need to be disrupted and, and frankly, the public blockchain uh, that's permissionless does a lot of it and not to be like the Bitcoin fixes this guy, but like, you know, <laughs> the idea of a public permissionless distributed ledger, uh, it does do a lot of good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Mike, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Where can we send people on the internet to find you? Well, I write on seeking alpha, uh, fairly regularly. I'd say I probably get like three or four articles up there every week. Uh, and I also do, uh, a lot of my more conspiracy theory, tinfoil hat type stuff <laughs> on, uh, my Substack. It's, you could search for it. It's heretic speculator. The actual URL is faybomb, F-A-Y-B-O-M-B dot substack.com. Uh, and I would say that I, I probably get two to three articles up there every week too so i stay pretty busy analyzing writing and uh then pontificating uh you know in my pajamas so it's fun <laughs> well i can i can personally say i i thoroughly enjoy the stuff you put out on on substack you know i'm i also enjoy a good conspiracy theory and i just i just like how you always you know there's definitely always a, a voice behind your articles you know when when you start an article i've always like okay this is this is mike speaking to me and i can really tell and it's uh it's really good work. So to anyone on the fence, please go ahead and, and check it out. You you won't be disappointed. Okay? I really appreciate that. Um, and all I can say is that, you know, I can't promise that readers are gonna like everything I say, but mm-hmm. I will I will swear that I am being authentic. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anyway, I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, thanks again, Mike. And, you know, let's, let's do this again, hopefully before the dollar collapses. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> thanks again for All having right. me. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Pragmatic Investor. If you're still around, I take it you enjoy the content. So please consider liking and following me on YouTube. And if you haven't already, also, I recommend you check me out on Substack, jamesfordsubstack.com, where I do a free weekly newsletter and a lot of in-depth content on macro, alternative assets, and a lot more. And you can also check me out on Seeking Alpha, The Pragmatic Investor.